up a series entitled The Rest of Your Life. The Rest of Your Life. And I don't know about you, man, but this series in particular, I mean all of them really, uh, really do minister to me, man. They're really helping me to really just grow in different areas. And I pray it's doing the same for you. Um, and you guys said you're ready for the word. So I'm going to give you the word of God today. Amen. So as I said, over the last several weeks, we've been on this series entitled The Rest of Your Life. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever thought about the rest of your life, the truth is that you're thinking about tomorrow, right? You're thinking about what they're going to look like. You're thinking about doing what's necessary today in order to get to your tomorrow, to obtain security tomorrow. You're working, you're striving, you're planning. You're doing it all with the intent of trying to survive to make it to that day, to that place where you can just rest, right? But the thing about it is that while we're living our lives this way, if we're honest with ourselves, the truth is we're not at rest. We're not. We're not at rest at all. Instead, we're constantly shifting gears to accelerate our plans. At times, we're slamming the brakes to avoid the, the messes, the wrecks that we create, right? And all throughout the process, we're doing everything in between in order to gain some sort of semblance that we hope will give us peace and lead us to some sort of rest in life. The truth is that you and I have a tendency to live life at our own pace while racing and getting nowhere. It's like the hamster on the wheel. You know, if you ever, I, I wonder, you know, I try to think, put myself in the place of a hamster. What is a hamster thinking while it's running on a wheel and getting nowhere? Right? It's like it's running because it believes it's going somewhere. And we fool ourselves that way. And so today I want to talk to you about a change of pace. A change of pace. And I want to invite you into a discussion. It's not a discussion with me because my opinion doesn't matter here. It's a discussion with God because believe it or not, God speaks through his word. And that conversation, that discussion that we're going to have today is going to also challenge us to talk to God. So I pray that you're opening your heart with that. So we're going to be talking on this uh, topic of a change of pace. And everyone wrestles with a natural tendency to live at their own pace. We march to the beat of our own drum. We approach life the way we see it fit. But the problem is that our pace uh, is to race in life. And what we've been learning over the last several weeks is that Christ's pace is for us to rest to find rest for our lives. So I want us to look back to a foundational portion of Scripture that we've been studying, which is Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 1. And it says, Now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. It's still for us. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did. I'll pause there real quick just to clarify. This is alluding to the people of Israel who were a people of promise. A people who God told that they would inherit lands that they themselves, they, they would step into cities and inherit buildings and possessions that they themselves did not work for, that they themselves did not build. They would, be, uh, they would live life marked by ease doesn't mean that they wouldn't have challenges, but that God would see them through. And the scripture says something very important here, that they, uh, that, that 
we've heard the good news that they did, and yet they didn't join, they, they, didn't, they, they failed to experience it. They didn't join their faith with the word. And so it says, instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply. Listen to this. For they doubted. They doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. You ever been in a place where you just find yourself thinking about, man, I wish it was just easier. I wish my load was lighter. I wish I could experience some change, go in a different direction. My friend, let me just submit to you that what you're looking for is not things. What you're looking for is rest. And that can only come through Christ. And so I'd like to present you a simplified version, a version of these verses that we just read with one statement. There is a better way to live the rest of your life. There's a better way. You can live at a different pace. You can have a, you, you, you can face life and navigate through it because God promises you and I the means to do it. You can be at rest for the rest of your life. But if this is to be our reality, we must pay close attention to what God says. Consider the scriptures. He says there is a rest that is still available to us today. That tells us something. For some of us, we have yet to enter into that rest. We have yet to depend on God to that extent. It also tells us that we must be extremely careful to ensure that we embrace it and experience it. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in that church where we were waiting on God to do everything. God, I'm waiting on you. We sang songs about waiting on God, right? We lifted our hands in declaration that we were waiting on God. But here's what we were doing while we were raising our hands and declaring boldly that we were waiting on God. We weren't embracing what God was already providing. And I'll tell you something about that place. It stinks. It doesn't work. So what we see from the scriptures is that we're responsible to ensure that we do not fail to experience this rest. It's the reason why Jesus says in Matthew 11, starting at verse 20, he says, come to me. Somebody say, come to me. Now, if you tell somebody to come to you and they're not coming, you're probably going to do just like, hey, focus right here. Come here. Come to me. In other words, there needs to be a shift. There needs to be movement. And Jesus says, come to me. See, it's up to us to come. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But what I love about the scriptures is that it records that Jesus clarifies what rest he's talking about. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I want you to consider something, that rest is not a vacation. Rest does not come as a result of vacations. It does not come as a result of the seven, six, eight, whatever amount of hours you sleep. Rest is not when you kick up your feet and you relax. That's not rest. Because rest is not momentary. Rest is a way of life. Let me ask you a question. Are you at rest? Think about that. 
Be honest with yourself about that. We need to be honest about that. And so according to the words of Jesus, we see that life is not meant to be lived at one speed. It's not meant to be lived at the speed of your cares, your desires. It's not meant to be lived at the speed of your fears. It's not meant to be uh, lived at the speed of your goals and aspirations. No, it's, it's at a pace of rest. It's rest in Christ. And what we see is that Christ invites us to come to him. And when we come to him, he promises that we learn from him. And in, by doing so, we find rest for the rest of our lives. But watch how it happens. He uses a, a verbiage that is very, very interesting and teaches us something. He says, take my yoke upon you. And the thing about a yoke is that it really doesn't fit at surface level, if you just look at it at the surface level, in context of what he's saying, because he's talking about rest for your souls, but he's talking about putting on a yoke. And yokes are heavy objects that join two animals together for the purpose of pressing forward and accomplishing a labor. So it almost sounds counterproductive. Uh, uh, it, it almost sounds like an oxymoron, like it contradicts what he's saying, what he's trying to convey. But in reality, he's teaching us something. See, a young ox learns to rely on an older ox according to its strength and direction, and it learns how to finish its part easier. If you ever think about, if you think about oxen when they yoke them, you, they always pair an older ox with a younger ox. You know why? Because the younger ox says, I can do this. I can get going. And they just push and they work themselves. But the, young, the older ox, which is stronger and wiser, proceeds at a steady pace. Eventually, the younger ox realizes something. I'm here working myself to death. I should just stick with his pace. That's the invitation that we have. And so in light of this invitation, I'd like to invite you to step outside of your own pace of life by considering a few questions. Question number one, does the rest that Jesus promises seem foreign and unachievable to you? Is it pie in the sky? Is it something that you go, oh man, I just wish I can get there. Are you learning from Jesus and living at rest? See, the proof of learning, the proof of of being yoked to Christ, the proof of following Christ according to the words of Jesus is that we can navigate through life and continually live in a perpetual state of rest. So are you learning from Jesus and living at rest, or are you leading your life and left with unrest? The last question I want to ask you is, are you living at your pace or Christ's pace? Which pace are you living at, rest or unrest? See, the reality is that we all need a change of pace because we all have the tendency to get ahead of God. You ever been there? Right? It's like, God, help me. Join me on my journey. Let's go where I want to go. We all have a tendency, if we're not careful, to get ahead of, to, to get ahead of God. We also have a tendency to lag behind God sometimes. And the truth is that we all lead our lives at, a, at varying speeds. And so it's for this reason that we have to learn how to change our pace. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Man, you don't understand my predicament. You don't understand everything that I have on my plate. I have, to, I have so much work to do on myself. I'm still trying to get there with God. Let me ask you a question. At that pace... 
Are you living at rest? Because if you're not, it tells you something. You're not living according to what God is trying to lead you towards. And so at one time while Jesus was teaching, a man who was perplexed by a situation, he cried out while Jesus was teaching. This guy interrupts Jesus. The scripture records that he says, excuse me, and I'm just paraphrasing here. He goes, excuse me, Jesus, I know you're teaching something great about the kingdom, but what I have to say is more important. He says, see, Jesus, my brother just got an inheritance, but he doesn't want to give me a part of it. Would you command my brother, would you tell him to give me a portion of that inheritance? Interesting. His plea concerning this inheritance reveals that he wanted a part of what his brother had, but it was, as we'll see in a second, it was for the purposes of the benefits he thought he could receive from this inheritance. And the scriptures say that Jesus responded to him in Luke chapter 12, verse 14. He says, man, you didn't get that. Man, really? Like, man, come on, man. He says, man, that was a lot funnier in my head. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over the two of you? Now think about this. Jesus, in essence, is saying, it's not my place to intervene in your dilemma. This isn't my issue. And we have to consider why Jesus would not bring a resolution to a matter that was creating tension between these two brothers. Why would he not intervene in a matter that was creating conflict and unrest between these two men? I mean, after all, it is his will that we live in a perpetual state of rest. So let's look to the scriptures for clarification. In Luke 12, 15, the scriptures say that Jesus says, watch out and guard yourselves from every greed. Watch out and guard yourselves against every form of greed. For not even when one has an overflowing abundance does his life consist of, nor is it derived from his possessions. And so what we see here is that this man was striving to attain the fulfillment of something he greatly desired and he saw as necessary for his life. And while it appears at the surface that his desire was for his brother's inheritance... The preceding words that we're about to read from Jesus in this parable that he shares tell us that he was actually looking for something more. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 12, starting at verse 16. It says, then he told them a parable. Now, you've got to understand something about parables. Parables were stories. They were analogies that were used for the purpose of revealing a kingdom principle. I don't know if you know this, but the scripture says that you are in this world, but you are not of it. You belong to a kingdom, and in this kingdom, there is a new way. There is a higher plane that you can operate from. And so he says to them, with the intent of revealing the kingdom of them, with the intent of showing them a better way, it says there was a rich man whose land was very fertile and productive, and he began thinking to himself, what shall I do? I, since I have, no, uh, I have no place large enough in which to store my crops. Then he said to himself, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my storehouses and build larger ones. And I will store up all my grain and my goods there. And I will say to my soul, soul, 
you have many good things stored up. Enough for many years. Listen to this. Rest, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Celebrate continually. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own all the things you have prepared? So it is for the one who continues to store up and hoard possessions for himself. Watch this. And is not rich in his relationship with God. Wow. See, the truth is that none of us are unlike this man. I'm going to tell you why I say that. Because we have all made the mistake of equating rest in life with the attainment of the things that we work for. Isn't that true? That is so true of us. So like him, we think to ourselves, if I could just reach this level of income, I can guarantee you that I've got a few people that maybe 10 years ago, maybe 5 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, you told yourself, if I could just make this amount of money, life would be so much better. And here's what's resonating with you now. Man, what I thought was true actually isn't. See, we think to ourselves, if I could just reach this level of income, if I could just have a bigger house, if I could just expand in this area of my life, if I could just achieve what I'm longing for, if this would change, life will be easier and I'll be at rest. See, the danger with approaching life this way is that you'll pass by the only one, the only thing that can give you rest and provide you more than what you think you need. According to the words of Jesus, it's a rich relationship with God. It's a rich relationship with God. I don't know if you believe in God or not, but let me ask you this. What you do believe in, is it producing rest for you? Is it really producing rest? Are you still striving and struggling? I think that the answer to that question, if we're honest with ourselves, will reveal a lot about what we actually believe in. And if it's actually believable. So, now when I refer to missing a relationship with God here, I'm not talking about religious acrobatics. I'm not talking about going to church out of obligation. I'm not talking about reading your Bible because you feel compelled to, because you feel guilty. I'm not talking about behaving good because somehow if you behave good, you're good enough for God. It's not what I'm talking about. See, a relationship with God entails so much more and provides so much more than we think. Listen to what the scriptures say in Luke 29, in Luke 12, 29 through 31, which is actually a continuum of these words within the same context that Jesus, the crowd that Jesus was speaking to. He says in verse 29, so as for you, do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, nor have an anxious and unsettled mind. He says, for all the pagan nations of the world greedily seek these things. In other words, this is the way of the world, and it doesn't work. So don't seek according to that drive. He goes on to say, for your heavenly Father already knows that you need them, but strive and actively seek his kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid and anxious, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you, listen closely, the kingdom. The keys are according to his kingdom. 
to his, the ways of his kingdom. And so when we change our pace and yoke ourselves to Christ, God gives us his kingdom instead of our castles. That's what he really does. See, in his kingdom, not only are your needs met, in his kingdom, every anxiety and thing that unsettles you inwardly is quelled. And if you really measure the weight of his words, every outward experience that we have in life that brings us unrest, that produces anxiety, that, 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 that just weighs upon us is really a result of a soul that isn't at rest. I encourage you, if you haven't checked out this series or if you missed it or maybe you just want to release, go to our YouTube page. I guarantee you it will bless you. It's still blessing me today. And so what do we learn? What can we learn about achieving a change of pace? How do we do that? The first thing I want to leave you with here today is that a change of pace requires a change of place. I'm going to say that again. A change of pace requires a change of place. What are you talking about, Jose? This man was overwhelmed and obsessed with the desire to possess a portion of his brother's inheritance. So much so that he was willing to, interu- to interrupt Jesus right in the middle of his teaching. In essence, he took center stage in this moment because he felt that he, what he had to say was more important than what Christ had to say. And what he wanted was more important than what Christ wanted for all. He assumed a place that wasn't his to begin with. I picture this encounter this way. Think of a person who's driving their car as fast as possible and comes to a screeching halt while, while whipping their car like one of those movies. Hey, Jesus, quick, jump in. Come with me so that you can come help me get what I want, what I need. The problem in this scenario is that the request for Jesus to go with you isn't based on a relationship with him. It's based on your relationship with your wants. It's like putting a third wheel in the middle of a marriage. For those of you that are married, I don't recommend that you try it, but if you decide you want to try it, I guarantee you kissing someone else in order to get a kiss to your husband or your wife won't work. Doesn't work. So we've all been in that place where we pull up on God and we we you know we 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 just demand his complete attention and we 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 require his power when we want it, and then we peel off in screeching tires, assuming that he's the pass he's in the passenger seat with us. And like this man in this in this in this instance if you're vexed if you're perplexed if you're in a place of unrest your problem isn't your problem your problem is that you're sitting in the wrong seat you're going fast going nowhere and you're trying to keep Jesus in the passenger side of this journey so look i believe that it's time to change places with Christ and follow him Instead of assuming his place in hopes that he'll follow us. Let me me make that a little bit more personal. It's time to change places with Christ and follow him. Instead of assuming his place in hopes that he'll follow you. Really. I'm reminded of a 
Jesus, one of Jesus' first encounters with the early disciples when he told Peter and Andrew in Matthew 4.19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In essence, this is powerful because Jesus was extending them an invitation to upgrade their lives. These guys were already fishermen. They already had the capabilities. They had the know-how. They had the experience. They had the established clientele. But all of a sudden, this changed. Matthew 4.20 says that they immediately left their nets and they followed him. And we have to question why. And if you study this out in the Gospels, you'll see that in this moment, Jesus didn't just call them. He showed them the power of his call when he told Peter to go out a little bit deeper and to cast his net on the other side. The scriptures record that Peter says to him, Master, we've been toiling out here all night and we haven't caught anything but at your word because you say, because I believe that your way is better than my way, I'll do it. And the scripture says that Peter cast his net on the other side and they caught so many fish, more than they'd ever caught. And the reason why these men left their nets to follow Christ was because their net was not big enough to contain what Christ could do in their lives. They saw the power in allowing him to lead their lives. So let me ask you this. Which place do you want to be in in life? Do you want to assume the reins and be in the driver's seat? Or do you want to allow Christ to lead you? I remember when I was a kid, uh, some of you might remember this. Some of you, you're a bit too young for it. But there was this little doll called My Buddy. My buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. Look at you, some of you singing the song with me. That's so cute. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me, right? And then they made kid sister, kid sister. All right, so, so, whatever. Anyway, the only reason, I don't know why that jingle sticks out in my head. It's the stupidest thing. But here's the thing about it. I, for some of us, we approach relationship with Jesus this way. My buddy and me, wherever I go, you go. And what we see from the experience that Jesus had with the disciples is that you have to let go of your nets in order to get a bigger net. If you really want to catch and, and grasp what God has for you, you've got to let go of what you depend on that's in place of dependence upon God. And so when we switch places with Jesus, what we see is we also switch the pace for our life. And in the end, we reap better results. So instead of striving to survive by living life at your own pace, why not put your trust in Christ and find rest for the rest of your life? I'm going to say this with a bit of boldness. And if it rubs you the wrong way, hey, if the shoe fits, please don't wear it. Just change it. But I want you to consider this. We have to stop assuming the role of God in our life by trying to lead ourselves. The truth is this, that you and I cannot see that far in life. So why not instead live in a place of rest where we trust God, knowing that he will not lead us wrong. The next thing that we see here is that a change of pace guarantees that you'll live in peace, not in pieces. Let me say that again. A change of pace, rest in Christ, it guarantees that you and I will live in peace, not in pieces. This man came to Jesus out of a place of anxiety. 
He, his need was not for a portion of his brother's inheritance. He was in need of rest. He was looking for peace. But instead, he was settling for life while resting in pieces. His life was in shambles. He was trying to piece it all together. He was, he was taking this piece of the puzzle and that piece of the puzzle, and he was trying to make it all fit, but he had the wrong box to begin with. And so Jesus brings to light in his parable what exactly what was going on in this man's heart, what he was searching for in the parable. In verse 19, it says, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good things stored up for many years. Watch the goal. Rest. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. Celebrate continually. This guy was looking to achieve rest. Oftentimes we struggle to gain things and to get to certain places in life while failing to realize what we are really after. I guarantee you that many of you are working hard, hard, hard. And man, if I could just get the last three years, the last five years of my career, if I could just bang out as many hours and make as much as possible, I can guarantee that I'll make more for my retirement. Can I say something to you? Work to rest is not the way God intended it. Resting in his promises, resting in his faithfulness, resting in his declared word, resting in his presence is the way that you will achieve rest for life. This man wasn't after money. He was seeking rest. He was seeking the very same thing that you and I seek on a daily basis. The thing is that there is no thing, there is no person, there is no place on this earth that can ever provide us rest. If there was, guess what? We wouldn't be living in the mess that this world is today. So thus, it's important that we learn to change our place, to find rest in Christ. It's important that we live with the peace of God and not in pieces. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In John 14, 25, starting at verse 25, Jesus is addressing the unrest of the disciples. And he says to them, I have told you these things while I'm still with you. But the helper... And, and it goes on to expound on it in the Amplified, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, your standby, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf. He will teach you all things. And he will help you remember everything that I have told you. Watch this. He summarizes the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by saying this. Peace I leave with you. My perfect peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Why? Because the peace of this world will never complete us. He says, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. And so here and here's what we see. That in moments of unrest and fear, Jesus does not, he does not offer us possessions. 
He does not encourage us to seek people. He does not encourage us to go to a quiet place. You can do those things. Nothing wrong with it. But if you're doing that in order to find rest, you will be in frustration. It will produce anxiety because you're not drawing from Christ. And so what we see here is that the Holy Spirit who is resident and at work in you, the scripture puts it this way, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. God is alive in you. If, if you have called him your Lord and Savior, there is a power that is greater than he that is in the world, the scripture says. But notice what this power does, how it functions. I love the way the Amplify correctly expounds upon it. It says... He's our helper. It says that he comforts us. It tells us that he advocates for us. You know what it's talking about there when it talks about an advocate? The book of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who now is forever making intercession for us before the Father. And it says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now in the old days, in the Old Testament times, the high priest was always working, busy, busy, presenting sacrifices, preparing sacrifices, uh, pre presenting incense, doing all these things. But our high priest, Christ, is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You know why? Because his work is done. So here you are stressing, here you are striving, here you are beating yourself up and saying, I'm no good for God. And he's declaring before the Father, I know that he messed up. I know that she dropped the ball, but I paid the price and by my stripes they are healed because of what I've done. They are righteous because of who I am. They are now holy. They're acceptable. Nothing can separate them from the love of God. The scripture declares that you can now boldly go before his throne. You have the same access that Jesus does. And so he's advocating for us, he's interceding for us, he's counseling us, he's strengthening us, and he's, he's our standby, but not like you know standby. When you're on standby in an airport, you're waiting in hopes that you can get on. No, what this is saying is that he's right there with you even when you're unaware of it. He's always present. And so here we are chasing life in pieces. We're chasing after life in pieces. Pieces made up of money, pieces made up of people, pieces made up of possession and priorities. But we're working with the wrong pieces because they don't add up to the peace that God has promised you. You're working with a jigsaw puzzle and you don't know what God is saying is already yours. I'm reminded of a story I heard a while back of a, some sort of competition and they invited all these artists and they said, give us your depiction of peace. And all these artists put together all these beautiful paintings. I mean, the beautiful landscapes. There was, there was the sun breaking through the sky. There was flowers growing. There was a lion and a lamb. There's, you know, someone taking a stroll in, in, in this serene uh, picturesque uh, picture. And, and then there was one that the judges looked upon and they, they just couldn't wrap their head around it. It was a painting of a storm. And in this, and in, in this storm, the artist did, he did such a great job in depicting the, the, the raging seas and the waves crashing and the wind blowing. And they're, they're thinking to themselves, how is this peace? And then one particular judge gets a glimpse of what everybody else was missing. 
he sees a little bird nestled on a cliff in a nest hovering over its chicks. And he says, there's peace. Ladies and gentlemen, a walk with Christ is not the promise that your life will be absent of problems. But it is a promise that his presence will see you through every time. And here's what we need to remember about the peace of God. We have to stay there. We have to stay there. Just because somebody's problem is their problem doesn't mean that it's your problem. I I hope that encouraged you. That's good stuff. Right? We pick up weight that's not ours to carry. Can I just encourage your hearts, parents? There are some of you that you are stressing about your children. You're picking up weight that's not even yours because they're not even stressing out about what you're stressing out about. And you're not in peace. And let me say something to you that's sobering for all of us to consider. When we're not in the place of peace, we're also not in the place where God can operate. We need to stay in that place of peace. The last point that I want to leave you with here today is that a change of pace requires a willingness to change. A change of pace requires a willingness to change. Listen, this man was racing at a frantic pace in life. But then it all came to a screeching halt. He was confronted with the words of Jesus. And despite the greed that plagued his heart, he had a moment with Jesus that provided him a doorway to experience rest, to really get what he was after. But you see, this this door would lead him to a place of decision where he would have to change. This change would lead him to forsake the greed in his heart. This change would lead this man to make a choice that involved his willingness to change. And in this moment, he was faced with a decision. I can trust Jesus, and I can follow Jesus, or I can trust in this world system and in possessions. And here's what hung in the balance between both those choices. Rest or unrest. I know what some of you are thinking, but it's so hard to change. Some of us, I don't want to change. I don't like change. Just leave me where I'm at. Some of us, we believe I can't change. And the only reason why you believe you can't change is because you tried to change and nothing changed. And so you believe nothing ever will change. But listen closely. When it comes to change... We all face that fear, that that thought that says everything's going to come to an end in order for this to change. I don't want I don't want to change my pace. And I have good news for you. You are absolutely right. You do have to change some things. You have to fight the resistance that keeps you from going where God is leading you. But before you make this choice to refuse a change of pace, I want you to consider realistically the results that you're presently getting and ask yourself a sobering question. 
do I really need change? Is it producing rest? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, we have the words, they're very popular words, many people know them, but they're the words of Paul to a people in Corinth. And the thing about the Corinthians was this, if you look, if you read the, the first and second letter of Corinthians, what you'll find is that Paul is redirecting them. These were people that were used to doing life the way that they did it. They were pagans before they came to Christ. And so a lot of things that were wrong were normal to them. And in that context, Paul says this to them starting at verse 17 of, verse five, of chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Watch this. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us, who brought us unto himself through Christ and has now given us a ministry to bring reconciliation everywhere we go. Now what's interesting about this is that he's writing this not to unbelievers, but to believers, which tells us something. We can have all things new and still be stuck in the old. Listen, where you've been, what you've grown used to, it's old. It's old news. It doesn't work. According to God, in its place, he's given us something completely new. Something completely new. An entirely new life. A life that is meant to be defined by his rest. By his peace by his power, by his purposes, by his comfort. Hmm. I want to encourage you, don't miss the new things that God has for you. Let's stand here today. Right here and right now, there are some of you that may be resisting this change of pace, but I want to leave you with a quote that I believe complements so well the word of God. It's from a woman named Helen Keller. And it pertains to change. She says, and I quote, Abandon the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. My friends, for our online community, can I say this to you? With the love of God, it's time for a change of pace. It's time to yoke ourselves to Christ. If we're honest with ourselves, will come to this conclusion. My way isn't taking me down any highways that are leading me anywhere. We need to put our trust in Christ. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your word, which is alive and powerful. We thank you, Lord, for what you are speaking directly to our hearts. Change is good, Lord, especially when it's based upon what you see. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. 
Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.